I read about a, a pastor who regularly told his church, if you would like a pastoral visit, place a note in the offering plate. Well, one Sunday, he got a very interesting note. This is what the note read. I'm one of your loneliest members and heaviest contributors. May I have a visit tomorrow evening? It was signed by his wife. Now, there's a pastor who had wrong priorities, isn't there? No doubt about it. And if you would ask me this morning, did Ellen write that note? My answer would be no, that wasn't a note that came from her, but I would have to be honest and say I'm sure there are times she could have written that note. Because my priorities as a husband have not always been balanced. Uh, one man who said that his priorities are balanced is Neil Lomax. When he was the quarterback of the Phoenix Cardinals, this is what Neil Lomax said. He said, my wife is more important to me than anything, even my pro football team. I know my priorities. I wonder this morning, what would it look like if a husband knows his priorities? Well, that's what we want to look at this morning as we come back to Colossians chapter 3 in our Bibles. We are coming back to this message that I've entitled over these next few weeks here, God's Design for Family Life. Now, last week we looked at the wife's role. Now, today we come back to verse 19 and we look at the husband's role in marriage. And so I want you to take your Bibles again this morning so you can fasten your eyes upon what God says to us and turn to Colossians 3 verse 19 and notice here how the Lord now addresses those of us who are husbands and this is what he says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Notice one word here is the husband's role. And that is to love. That is to love. Now, as we fasten our eyes upon this, we need to understand this is revolutionary. In the history of the world, a statement like this to husbands was absolutely re revolutionary. No household code in the ancient world that we know of ever required a husband to love his wife. Let that sink in for just a moment. That's extraordinary. You see, the concern in the ancient world was that a husband be a good manager, properly ordering his household. That was the focus of what he was supposed to do. Now, I think all of us this morning can begin to see where this leads, right? If I think as a husband I'm a manager, then it's very easy to get irritated with the employees, isn't it? And when I get irritated with the employees, it's very easy to become harsh. And as you think about it, isn't that the natural tendency of us who are husbands? We think to ourselves, I'm trying to manage this relationship. My wife is not cooperating with me. She irritates me. And that makes me angry, right? Now, what's the problem there? Well, the problem is this, Ellen is not an employee of Oberg Incorporated, is she? When we got married, she didn't join the company. This does not say husbands manage your wives. What does it say? 
Husbands, love your wives. A wife does not first need a manager. A wife first needs a lover. That's what she needs. And if our priorities are right as a husband, we will think of ourselves first and foremost as her lover. You see, the reason that we get irritated and angry with our wives as often as we do is we have forgotten who we are. We've forgotten who we are. We are her lover. Men this morning who are married, if someone were to come to you and say, what is your relationship with your wife like? The first answer you should give is, I am her lover. I am her lover. Well, now, what kind of a lover are we? Well, in the parallel passage, the Apostle Paul spells this out for us. So let's go back now to Ephesians chapter 5. Our praise team did such a great job of taking us into this chapter. And let's look at verses 25 down to verse 32. If I am to be a lover of my wife, that's my primary role, what kind of a lover am I to be? Well, let's look at what the Apostle Paul says. Ephesians 5 now, and look with me at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Here's the first quality. It is sacrificial love. It is sacrificial love. Now, when we look at verse uh, 25, there are a couple of things that we need to understand. Number one, this is not saying that we can love our wives to the depth that Christ loved the church. All of us know that is an impossibility. We could never reach that level of love for our wives. So what this is telling us is Christ is the pattern of our love. You see, in a world in which when men thought of loving their wives, they thought of erotic love, Jesus shows to us husbands what real love is like in marriage. And then the second thing in verse 25 we need to understand is this does not say that we are to be willing to die for our wives. It says we are actually to die for them. That's what it says. We're to die to ourselves. How easy it is for us to read here that Christ gave himself up for the church, and we know that's referring to the cross, the crucifixion, and then read that and say, you know what? I'd be willing to die for my wife if it came to that. This past week I read about an 82-year-old Vietnam veteran who defended his 79-year-old wife from an intruder who was wielding a knife. And all of us husbands this morning would say, I would do what he did. I would do what he did. But this is not saying we are to be willing to die. What this is saying is we are to die. Daily. To ourselves. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 15.31, I die every day. And that's what it means to be 
a lover. I want you to think about this. 30 years ago when I stood before my wife and I said, I do. I could have also said, I die. I die. And I have to be very honest with you. I must confess, I've not really understood this all that well. It's taken me 30 years to understand that when I said, I do, I also meant, I die. In light of this, who does this say then will make the most sacrifices in marriage? Well, obviously, husbands will. And that's always the case. The leader always sacrifices the most. The leader always gives more than the leader takes. And so, husbands, this morning, if we want to say, do I love my wife with a sacrificial love? Ask myself this question. Am I taking more out than I'm putting in? Because the leader always gives more than the leader takes. Pastor John MacArthur has some very interesting questions for us as husbands to ask ourselves at this point. Listen to what he says. When's the last time when we both wanted to do different things that I said, Honey, I think what you want to do is what we ought to do. When is the last time I set aside my own carefully laid out plans to do what my wife suddenly decided she wanted to do? The whole heart of the matter is dying to self. And that's exactly right. You're a husband this morning. I'm a husband this morning. The whole heart of the matter with our wives, is dying to self. That's what sacrificial love is. Well, now notice as Paul continues, he also says that it is a purifying love. It is a purifying love. Look at verse 26. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, these two verses here are why marriage is an illustration of Christ and the church, as we were singing earlier in our praise team package. You see, Christ's goal for the church is the very same goal that a husband has for his wife. Do you know in these two verses, you have the entire goal of Jesus for every one of his believers. Look at what Jesus' goal for us is. It says in verse 26 that he washed us. That's our justification, isn't it? That means the guilt of sin has been removed from every believer. But then we look and we notice that he is sanctifying us. That's our sanctification. The control of sin over every Christian is being progressively removed as Jesus makes us more like himself. But then notice verse 27 says, One day he has planned for us splendor. 
That splendor is a reference to eternity, being in heaven, being glorified. So here we have Jesus' glorification of us when he removes the very presence of sin from our lives and we will be pure and spotless and blameless before him in glory. This is nothing less than the goal of Jesus Christ to purify completely every one of his followers. Do you know that in a Jewish marriage, there was a very interesting ceremony a bride would go through. She would take a bath, and then she would put on her wedding garment and be presented to her husband. And that little ceremony was symbolic of being presented to her husband as a pure bride. And now as the husband receives the wife in her purity after that ceremony, his responsibility is to continue her purity by helping her grow spiritually. Morally, ethically, he contributes to the ongoing purity of the bride who was presented to him. Men, this is a purifying love we have toward our wives. When I was a boy growing up, my my mother attended a Bible doctrine class for women that was taught by a very capable woman in our community. In fact, this woman had such an influence over my mother that I eventually went to the Bible college that this woman graduated from. And my dad was 100% behind my mother attending that Bible doctrine class for women. Now, I understand. Now I understand. He was contributing to her purity. He understood if if she is learning Bible doctrine, she is growing spiritually. And as she grows spiritually, she is being more and more purified into the image of Christ. My mother taught junior church every Sunday in our church. And after church, we would go to McDonald's and eat. And in those days, you could only eat in the car. You couldn't go in. And I always thought, well, the reason we do that is because my dad likes Happy Meals. And I liked Happy Meals too. But uh, I thought, well, okay, this is really great. Then one day he told me. He said, your mother works very hard in junior church. And I don't want her to have to cook Sunday dinner. And that's why we go to McDonald's every Sunday. And then I understood. He was contributing to her purity by supporting the ministry that she loved and fed her soul. I read about a Christian wife who said this to her husband. I feel closer to you when we pray together than at any other time. For me, she said, praying together is the most intimate thing we do. What was that husband doing? 
He was contributing to the purity of his wife by creating spiritual intimacy with her through prayer. See, we are called as a husband to have a purifying love for our wife. I like to say this about Ellen when um, I talk about our marriage. I like to say, when I married Ellen, I married up. And that's somewhat of a humorous compliment that I like to give to her. And usually when I say it, I get a smile back. But there's a serious side. And that serious side is this. I'm a better man because I'm married to Ellen. There's no question about that. No question about that at all. I'm a better man... Because I'm married to her. Now, here's the question. Is she a better woman because she's married to me? Isn't that the question this morning? Spiritually, morally, ethically, is she better because she's married to me? And what are the things that I'm doing that are encouraging her so that there is spiritual, moral, and ethical growth. You see, if I'm her lover, it is a purifying love. Now notice thirdly in this passage as Paul continues, he tells us it is a caring love. It is a caring love. Look at verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Now these two words here, nourish and cherish, in verse 29, are at the heart of caring for our wives in the same way that we care for ourselves. So if we want to understand what is a caring love all about, it is wrapped up in these two words, nourish and cherish. Now the word nourish is a very, very fascinating word. In the Greek translation of Genesis 45:11, it is used of God providing food for the Israelites. So husbands, this means we are to provide for our wife's material needs. And then in the New Testament, this word nourish is found only one other time in the very next chapter, chapter 6, verse 4, where it's used of parents bringing up their children, educating them. So husbands, we're to be interested in our wife's intellectual needs and to encourage that. And then the word cherish here in verse 29 is a very tender word in the Greek translation of Deuteronomy 22.6. It is used of a bird sitting on a nest. What a beautiful picture. It means to warm, to comfort. It has the idea of showing affection so very clearly here. This is referring to our wife's emotional needs. You know what this tells me? 
A caring husband cares for the needs of his wife on every level that he cares for his own needs. We've seen the spiritual needs. Now here in these verses we see the material needs, the intellectual needs, and the emotional needs. If I'm a caring husband, all of those facets of my wife's personality and life, I'm concerned about. Do You know, I read about a study from the University of Wisconsin that said this, listen to this, nearly half of all married men are emotionally divorced from their wives. Let that sink in this morning. What that means is, many men are in the marriage, they're in the home, but emotionally, they have checked out. And i got to be very honest this morning. I fail in this area many times. Too many times I'm present, but I'm not really there. I'm somewhere else rather than engaged with my wife emotionally and mentally. And now as I look at what a lover is supposed to do, I have to say to myself, when I am with Ellen, whatever things are keeping me from being emotionally and mentally engaged with her, whether it's the newspaper or my favorite sports program, or, or Western, or my preoccupation with my job, I've got to start setting those things aside because she has emotional and mental needs that I am to be very, very concerned about. There were two authors who wrote a very famous book on marriage, and they asked a very interesting question. They said, what do women really want to hear men say? Now, by the way, that's a dangerous question to ask your wife, isn't it? What do men, what do women really want to hear men say? What a great question. And they provided a number of answers so let me give them to you. Here's what women want to hear their husbands say, according to these best-selling authors. Put on your best outfit. I'm taking you out for a surprise evening. Let's take a walk together. Just the two of us. You're always so thoughtful or sensitive or caring. I love your eyes or your hair or your smile. You're the best wife a man could hope for. You're my best friend. When I think about you, I get a warm feeling all over. I'm taking your car in today for new tires because I love you and I want you to be safe. 
I'm going to run an errand. Is there something I can get for you while I'm out? It's just a little something I brought you to say I love you. You know what's interesting about those nine things on the list? They all seem very obvious, don't they? Don't they? It just seems very obvious. But you know what these couple who wrote this book said? Men do not say the obvious often enough. See, all this seems very obvious. Of course I should say these things to my wife on a regular basis. But the problem is, men don't say the obvious often enough. When I read this, I have to say to myself, do I regularly or rarely say things like this to my wife? If it's regularly, well, then I'm probably working pretty well at, at, at loving her emotionally. But if it's rarely, I'm not loving my wife emotionally. And you see, a caring husband is concerned about her whole being, her spiritual growth, her material needs, her intellectual development, and her emotional needs. That's what it means to be her lover. Well, now the climax of this entire section is finally, it is a Christ-honoring love. It is a Christ-honoring love. Look at verse 31. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. You know that's Genesis 2.24. Now listen to this. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Now this is very important because only those of us who know Jesus and belong to him in the church then understand why God created marriage in the first place. Marriage in the garden, according to the Apostle Paul here, was intended by God to prefigure the creation of the church as the bride of Christ. Think about this, Christian husbands, this morning. You understand something that your unsaved male friends do not understand. You understand that when marriage was created in the garden, in Genesis chapter 2, God intended it would prefigure the creation of the church as the bride of Christ. So think about this. The closest physical union between man and wife illustrates the closest spiritual union between Christ and his church. Now I have to pause. And I have to say this as I apply this to my life. The best way then that I know how I'm a Christ follower is how I love my wife. The most singular way to know 
that I'm a Christian is how I love her. That is more significant than the sermons I preach, and the sermons I preach are, are pretty significant, aren't they? That's more, more telltaling than the Bible studies I lead, and those Bible studies are very important. It's more important even to God than the managing skills that I use to manage my work. And that's very important as well. But the number one way that somebody knows I am a follower of Christ is the lover that I am to my wife. That is profound. That is profound. I read about an anonymous teenager who made a very significant observation. I don't know who this teenager was, where the teenager lived, whether it was a boy or a girl. I don't even know if the teenager understood anything about this passage, but I want you to listen to what this teenager said. I wish my parents had known that unless marriage partners truly love one another, there is little they can teach their own children about the love of God or Christian living. Isn't that profound? An anonymous teenager, unless marriage partners truly love one another, there is little they can teach their own children about the love of God or Christian living. You see, when we love our wives as husbands, we honor and reveal Christ. And doesn't every Christian man want that? Doesn't every Christian man in his life want to honor and reveal Christ? And that's exactly what happens when we love our wives. It is sacrificial love, it is purifying love, it is caring love. And when those are all in place, it's a Christ-honoring love. Let's ask the Lord, shall we, as husbands today. Let's ask Him to help us. Would you bow with me in prayer? Please take a few moments as a man of God to reflect upon the high calling God has given you for your wife. Please say in your heart to the Lord, Father, if someone would ask me, what is your relationship to your wife? That I would say, I'm primarily her lover. 
and I die daily to myself. I want her to be better in every dimension because she's married to me. And I want to care for all the facets of her life. Just like Jesus does for me. And I know you feel the way that I do. I've been 30 years trying to learn this. And I've failed in many ways. My priorities have often been out of balance. And thank you, Lord, that we come back to church to find out who we are, what you've done for us, and how you want to help us to be men of God. And so, Lord, today, whatever we need to confess, we confess. However we need to repent, we repent. Whatever things we need to say to our wives, forgive me, I'm sorry. I want to do better. I want you to help me. Whatever those things are, Father, we lay them at the cross. And we invite our gracious and loving Savior to strengthen us, teach us, guide us, and change us. Lord, today, I commit each husband to you, myself to you. Help us, Lord, to be men of God. For Jesus' sake, amen.